it's hard to believe for me. We have reached the end of our 40 days in the Word. Actually, today is started when we started in January. Today is day 42. So some of you, if you start on Sunday, you've kind of gone through your 40 days. Some of you, if you had a different start date, maybe a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you're in the middle of your last week. But here we are. I, I, I had a good time. I hope you did too. I hope you made some uh, new friends maybe along the way. You learned a few things. And what I want to kind of do today is in many ways wrap it up and point us forward because the purpose of 40 Days in the Word wasn't for 40 days. It was to set a foundation, to, to set some habits in our lives that would continue from here on out. In fact, maybe the word we'd like to, to use and the thing I'll talk about today is how to integrate the Bible, the Word of God, into your life. Integrate, meaning that it should become an integral part of your life. The difference between integrated and, and, and maybe separated. The idea that, that the Bible or church or, or faith isn't a part of your life. It's not a slice of the pie of your life that you access on Sundays or, or other sorts of times, but, but it's part of the whole. In fact, the word integrity, which is kind of an important word when we think about somebody's character, Integrity and is from the same root as integrate, that, that you're the same person no matter where and no matter when. And so what we want to talk about today is how to integrate the Bible, the study of the Word, the practice of the Word into your life. And I, I think that's really what Jesus was getting at when he talked to his disciples in, in John. Um, first verse I want you to consider is this one. Jesus said, if you continue in my Word, then... You are truly my disciples. If you continue, it's not a, a one and done or a 40 days and done or a few weeks and done. It's, it's a process. It's a life that's continuing in the Word. So how do we do that? Well, today I'm going to use some of our memory verses. If you've gone through the 40 days in the Word with us, you know we've memorized six verses together. We'll look at some of those. How many of you actually memorized them? If you did, I'm going to have you come up here and form a line. So who actually memorized them? I know a few of you. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do that today, but nonetheless. So that was part of it. And I want to use some of those verses because I think in them are some helps for us to how to make this a part, how to continue in the Word, how to integrate the Bible, the Word of God into our lives. And the first one I want to talk about is the last memory verse of all. It concludes one of the greatest sermons, if not the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus himself, the longest recorded sermon is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And toward the end of that sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, our memory verse for this week, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. All in favor of building houses on the rocks, say I. You live in Key Largo, right? Whether you wanted to or not, you built your house on a rock. Dig a hole and see how that works out for you, right? Good times. So, so we've got this down. But, but really, the, the idea is the house, the structural integrity, the, the security of it is tied to the foundation on which it's built. And then this, this parable sort of ending to the Sermon on the Mount, he says there's two ways that you can build your house. One of them is this way. You can be wise and build it on a rock. The other way is to be foolish and build your house on the sand. Now, one of the things, and there are a lot of ways we could parse those two analogies, but one way to think about it 
is that for these two substances, sand or rock, sand is usually considered something that's a little less stable, might shift. We actually talk about shifting sands is the phrase that's used. The idea is it's not necessarily firm and solid. And, and he uses the idea if, if wind and rain and storms come, it could make that foundation of sand sort of shift and the, the house would fall. Isn't there a song about that? Can we sing the song, the kids' song? A wise man built his house upon. Do you not know the song? A wise man built his house upon the rock. A wise man built his house upon the rock. Oh, now we're getting some there. The rains came down and the floods came up. Isn't this much better? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood what? Tall, strong, fast, firm. What is it? Firm. Amen. But that's just the first verse. There's more. How does it go? The foolish, the foolish man built his house. You're really timid about this. The rains came down and the floods came. You all know this part. Sing it. Okay, what did it go crash or splat? It, it ended badly. There you go. Two things. Wasn't that fun? You've all been anointed the worship team for next Sunday. Good time. So what is it? It's a kid's song. We teach them because it comes right out of what Jesus said. And if you were to read that, what is the difference, according to Jesus, between building your house on the rock? And building your house on the sand. Well, he says, the wise man who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The foolish man hears these words of mine, but does not put them into practice. Which means, somewhere along the way, the foolish person in that parable of Jesus chose to ignore integrating the Bible into their life, not making that the foundation. And by the way, there's a lot of things competing for our affections. There's a lot of things trying to convince us this is what you should build the house or your life on. Culture might be one thing. Have you noticed what's in today is out tomorrow and it'll be back in in 20 years and then out again before it comes back in? It's changing. You could try to be culturally relevant today. In fact, I read a survey. Did you know? Facebook. Have you heard of Facebook? Now, a few years ago, it started out as a college thing, and then you know what happened? All us older folks got on it, and all the kids abandoned it. Less than 50% of teens today use Facebook. Did you know that? They're on to other things. They, Facebook is, it requires too much typing. They like to Snapchat. Do you Snapchat? No? Who, do you know what Snapchat is? I just make up these words as I go. No, it's really a thing. Or they're on Instagram, or they're on, they're, they're doing, 
teens, we think, you know, and as parents, sometimes you think, I need to, to, I need to monitor my kid's Facebook account. Good idea, but they're probably not on it. So monitor away. They're like, ha, 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 I'm on Instagram, whatever. It's a great time. But culture, it changes. You think you're on the cutting edge, and, and really you're not. You're already behind the curve. And so if you try to, to build your life on what culture says is the most important thing, it's going to change. It's going to change in, in a hurry. Other people build their lives on, on the opposite. They build it on tradition. Churches love tradition. Traditions are good. Traditions are wonderful. There's a reason tradition is tradition, because it works. We have traditions that you build on because generations have said that's a good thing to build on. But you need to be careful because you can trade. In fact, in in Scripture, Jesus says to, to, I believe, the religious leaders, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So you have to be careful, even as religious people, even as followers of Jesus, not to hold on to tradition because they can, well, eventually get you into trouble if they become more important than the Word of God. Other people, well, they they build their life on reason, on things that are reasonable, things that make sense to them. They're very, and maybe this is in the last, I don't know how many years of our culture, reason has continually elevated itself. Now, now I'm all for thinking, I'm all for deep thinking, I'm all for, for, for pondering even, for going over things, but here's what you need to know. Sometimes I think really long and hard about stuff, and I still blow it. And sometimes you thought you knew the most reasonable course of action. Oh, I studied this. This is the very best investment. And then the bubble burst. And that very reasonable action cost you. Or you thought about this relationship. It makes perfect sense. It's everything. And he or she is everything I've ever wanted. And you you were reasonable about it even. But as time went on, you found out, work out so good. There are lots of things we can think on and build our life on, but ultimately the Bible says this, there is a way that seems right to a man and the end thereof is death, destruction, bad things. When we think we've got the right view, well, we've found in my life and your life, you know, sometimes it doesn't always turn out the way you want it to. And here's here's the worst thing of all you can build your life on, how you feel. Emotion. A lot of people build their life on emotion. We have a, a culture that hopes that you build your life on emotion, that they can take and manipulate your emotions through the ways and the inputs that they have, that you'll act even impetuously to do things. How many, well, I won't ask that question. Did you know? Like, let's just take an example, Apple. Not like the red thing that you eat, like the company with the bite out of it. If you don't have an iPhone 6, shame on you. You are bad. And if, you, if, if, if you're stuck with an iPhone 3 or 4, oh, for shame. I'm surprised you came out in public today. I mean, that, that's the way. And, and every year they come out with a new model. And every year millions of people... Get in line outside stores to buy it. Why? Because, well, i got to have it. i got to have it. If you build your life on feeling, you can go, well, let me do this. Now, I know we're in church world, and all of you are thinking, hey, you're right. Here's what I want to say to us as Christians. We can't build our life on feelings either. And you know when we do that? Here's a phrase we use. Well, I've got a piece of that, and so I think I should do it. 
If you have a peace about it, that means you feel good about it, and you're acting on your feelings, not necessarily on the direction of God. Ask Jesus if he had a peace about the cross. He did not. He begged and pled and sweat drops of blood because he, at every point, knew what was coming and knew how excruciating that choice would be and yet acted in spite of his feelings. Not what I want, God, but your will be done. Jesus didn't go to the cross saying, well, I'm just doing this because I have a peace about it. So Christians don't think, you know, it's just about the feelings that we have about this or that or the other. No, we can fall into that same trap by trusting our feelings. And whatever we do that, when we build our house on any of those things, those things are subject to shifting, to, to moving. And the house that's built on them is subject to crash. So instead, what do we do? We build our house, we build our life on the timeless truths of God's Word, which is why we've spent the last six weeks doing the things that we've done as a church. We've looked at it, we've studied it, we've learned different ways to study it, to meditate on it, so that we, as we move forward, as we live our life, integrate it into our life, so that the foundation that we're building on in our lives is good. Did anybody watch the Oscars a few weeks ago? I gotta say, I always get excited to watch them, and they drive me nuts. Am I the only one? I, I gotta admit, it drives me nuts. And this is this is my uh, I think the technical term is soapbox. Yeah, it's incredible to me the millions of people. Now I know we'll talk about football another Sunday, but today it's about Oscars. The millions of people that watch and hang on the words of these celebrities. It is amazing. Our country is built on the wisdom of Kim Kardashian. Be afraid. Be very afraid if that's the foundation that we're building our lives on. It will change. In 72 hours, I think. Or that's another thing. Build your life the foundation of your life. Make sure it's strong. Make sure it's solid. It's God's Word. And if we're going to build on that, we have some stability. So we build our life on it. Another memory verse we learned a few weeks ago. Um, actually, I think it was the first memory verse. Colossians chapter 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not only do we need to, to build our lives on the Word of God, we might even say we need to nourish our lives with the Word of God. I brought, you probably noticed me sneak in this glass. It's hot water, I hope. It was when I left the kitchen. And I brought with me this wonderful thing, not because I'm thirsty or because I have a cold, but because this is an illustration. Tea bags, water, what happens? Magic. I want to use this to illustrate what, what's going on here, because Really, when we approach the Word of God, there's a lot of analogies in the Bible that tell us what it's like. Sometimes it's like milk. Like a, a new babe in Christ or a new believer in Christ needs the very basic truths of the Word of God, like a milk for a baby. Or, or other places it talks about being bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The sustenance, the filling, kind of, I need that to be satisfied. It's called the meat. Don't just live on the milk of the Word, but on the meat of the Word, the the heartier portions that, that builds a healthier 
on spiritual life. And how do we do that? How do we move from the babe on the milk of the word all the way to the mature person on the meat? Well, it's how we interact. It's how we feed ourselves with the word. And, and really, it's about our senses. Like today, you're using one of your senses as we're ta- as I'm talking today. You're using your ears to hear what I'm saying. And, and that's important because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if all you ever do is hear the word of God, hear people talk about it, this is the kind of tea you have. Mm-mm, good. Look at that. Oh, that looks yummy, huh? Just one dip. I heard it. Well, hearing is good. Hearing is necessary. Hearing is important. But if you're making tea, you don't want just that one exposure. Maybe you just don't want to hear it. You want to use your eyes and read it so we can dip a little longer, dip a little more to hear it. Well, I mean, I'm talking today, so it'll be a while. But if you read, it's like adding another way to get in there. And so, I don't know if you can tell, but there's actually a little color in there now. It's almost as tan as I am. It's beautiful. And, and so we, we put a little more of the word in our life. We've, we've read it. We're using our eyes. Sometimes when we read, remember what Rick Warren and our study has encouraged you? Don't just read it like in your mind, because if you're like me, when you're reading in your mind, your mind starts wandering over here. Maybe it's a novel or any book you're reading. You know, you're reading it, and all of a sudden you think, I have no idea the last thing I read. My mind has been somewhere else. Happens with the Bible, too. So he suggests don't just hear it when you're in church and read it with your eyes, but when you read it, speak it, too. Read it out loud. So now you're not just using your eyes, but you're using your mouth to form the words, and you're using your ears to hear once again, the words that are important. So we're engaging more of our senses. Oh, look at that. Now we're getting somewhere. But that's not all. What did he say? You haven't done Bible study unless you've done what? What do you need for Bible study? If you were in a, a pen, right? You write down what you learn. Pen, paper. So not only do I, I hear it, I read it, I speak it, but, but I write it down. Hey, now we're, we're really getting somewhere. And not only do I write down what God's teaching me so that that can be something I can remember and come back to, but but I also use my mouth to tell others, hey, listen, in our small groups, one of the coolest things that I've heard out of 40 Days in the Word is all these small groups that have started and the relationships that are being built that otherwise these folks may not have thought to, hey, let's get together on a Tuesday or a Thursday or Saturday and and, and study God's Word together. And yet again, they're sharing what they're learning. I'm just going to leave that there for a while. But you see the point. Every dip of that tea bag in the water, if the tea bag represents God's Word and the water is my life, it begins to saturate it more and more. Not just hearing the things that are read or talked about in church world, but reading it myself and, and speaking it out loud and sharing it with others and writing down what I'm learning. All of those things, I begin to feed upon the Word of God so that it begins to permeate my life. And so, just like this tea begins to color and change the flavor of the water, the very character of Christ begins to permeate my life and color my attitudes and my actions and my interactions. And my character is more and more conformed to be like the one who I'm spending time allowing those continuous and repeated dumps in my life. Anybody thirsty? 
Yeah, I'm sure. Too bad. There's a table outside when I'm done in an hour. That was mean, wasn't it? Oh, well. So, so we, we feed on it. We, we don't just build our life on it. We don't just say, I'm going to do that. But we begin to allow it to permeate our life. And then as we do that, another memory verse, Psalm 119, verse 11. You remember that. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So as it permeates, again, we come to this idea of even memorizing the Bible, meditating on it. And that's what we learned. If you remember, if you've studied those, if you've been through the small group sessions, Rick Warren has taught us six different ways to meditate on the Word of God. And I know we have folks here who haven't been through this kind of like 40 days with us, but, but this applies no matter whether you've been through this process with us or this is your first Sunday here. All of this is true. You can still build your life on the Word of God and allow it to permeate your life. And then, as this says, hide it in your heart that you may not sin against God. How did Jesus deal with the temptation? Satan came and said, I want you to do this. And what did Jesus do? Quoted Scripture. He quoted back to the enemy, back to the devil, the Word of God. He had it at his disposal. Now, I know we have some folks that have been or are students in our crowd today, right? I, my favorite thing, um, I went to a Christian college, and our professors, before we take uh, exams, would always pray for us. And one of my professors was very particular. His prayer was always this, Father, help them to remember the things they've studied. Like, that's not nice. I need to remember some stuff I might not have studied. So Jesus, help me here. I studied it. I got that. I need the stuff I might have missed. But what was his point? His point was the only way I'm going to be ready for that test is to have spent the time reading the book, reading the notes, going over it, integrating it. And the same thing is true when we face those tests in our life that we call temptation. When, when it starts knocking and you're faced with that, okay, ah, this is a temptation. What do I do? If you've not studied... You don't have any ammunition. Jesus had ammunition. He could, in that situation, call upon what he had studied from the time he was a little boy. As a Jewish young man, as a Jewish boy, four or five years old, he, he began to memorize portions of the Torah. And in fact, you may have heard in some of our videos we've watched, all three verses he quoted in those temptations were from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. Also, as Rick Warren said in one of our videos, the least read book of the Bible, interestingly enough. And Jesus not only read it, but memorized it. So when the time came, he could call on that resource to combat whatever the temptation was. And we can do the same thing. We can hide God's word in our heart. We can memorize it. We can study and learn and meditate on those things so that whatever situation arises... We have a resource we can call upon. We find ourselves in a situation and we haven't built our life or nourished our life with or memorized the, the words that God has given us. And, and we I don't know what to do. Why? Because there's nothing to call on. And what might come to your mind is, oh, yeah, well, I've been reading uh, these books or these magazines or watching these TV shows. And all of those images come flooding in. And you might be more likely to go follow culture or follow reason or whatever the other things we build our lives on might be instead of 
following the thing that makes the most sense, that is the thing that promises it's true and unchanging and unshifting and solid and is a base like a rock that your, your life can stand on. When the storms come, when the rains and the wind come against that house. And, and it's not just temptation, but there are lots of times and places where if you're like me, you need a little help. I need help when, when there's a crisis and I don't feel like there's much hope. Maybe it's a, a, a loss. Someone that I, that I love is very sick or, or maybe even has passed away. I need hope in that. From my view, things look hopeless and things look dark, but I can call upon what God has taught me. He says, hey, you grieve, but not like people who have no hope, the Word of God says. So, oh wait, there's hope. What is my hope? Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you so that where I am, there you may be also. Well, wait, so if if one day that happens, I, I'll be reunited to them. And he talks about the resurrection and all this stuff. And I, suddenly, in a very difficult situation, doesn't mean I'm happy about it. It still hurts. But in that crisis, I see that hope that I need to deal with, with that sense of loss. Um, maybe it's not only that, but anybody ever felt weak? I don't mean like I can't do this bench press. I mean like I know this is something I'm not supposed to do, but I don't have a lot of willpower right now to do it. Let's just talk about dieting because that's the easiest. I know I'm not supposed to eat the chocolate cake, but dear Jesus, I want the chocolate cake. And you have provided for me the chocolate cake in the form of this display case in front of me. And dear Jesus, you have provided the waitstaff who comes to my table and will slice and bring for me the chocolate cake. And Bill Cosby used to sing, Dad is great, give us the chocolate cake. You didn't see that video? Got eggs, and yeah, that's true too. And flour and milk. Good stuff in there. And now you say, oh, but wait a minute. Man does not live by bread and or chocolate cake alone. one example. When I'm weak, when I don't have the willpower to stand, there's this wealth of resources that can come along and say, how about when you're confused? Anybody ever have a tough decision and you really don't know what to do? The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without finding fault. I like that. I like the fact that when I say to God, I don't know the right decision to make, both Options either look equally good or equally bad, depending on the situation. I don't know which way to go. God promises his wisdom is given generously, and he doesn't say, well, you should know better. He doesn't find fault with us and point out how we should just have done. No, he just offers that. And I can call upon those verses in very difficult times, confusing times, tempting times, to help me deal with it. And, and see, here's what's happened in the last few minutes as I've left this teabag here. What? What is this now? It's tea. It's something different, right? It's been transformed. It's not water anymore. Everything about it is viewed differently. It tastes differently. It has certain properties that weren't there before. The same thing. When you allow the Word of God to permeate, you're not just reading it and hearing it and speaking it, but you're memorizing it and hiding it in your heart. There's a transformation that takes place in our lives. 
we become more and more like the character and the nature of God. I don't know about you, but our world, as messed up as it is, could use a little more of the character of Jesus in all the different interactions we have. And it starts with us allowing these things to happen. One more memory verse, and we'll kind of wrap up and have the Lord's Supper together. And that's James 1.22. Tough one. Do not merely listen to the Word. This really ties into what we started with, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Wise man hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Foolish person hears these words of mine but ignores them, doesn't do anything with them. Same thing, James, the brother of Jesus, is writing here. Don't deceive yourself and think because you came to church and took notes or or listened to a, a sermon on a podcast or on the radio, somehow God is like, that's what I want. No, He wants us to do what it says, to act upon what we know. It is just kind of that simple. And He promises. I said one more verse. I should have one more. I'm sorry. Forgot. It's another Psalm 119 verse. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In fact, I don't know if you know, that's what Jerry played for the offering a few minutes ago, wasn't it? He told me I might have. That would have been embarrassing, but I guess I pulled it off now. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. As we go through life and we're trying to figure, again, we're confused. We don't know what's next. Have you ever been lost in the dark? What do you do when it's dark? You pull out your phone and turn on the flashlight, right? Or you turn on a light switch. Got up this morning, it was a lot darker than you got up at the same time yesterday. Don't you love that? It was even raining if you were in certain parts, depending on when you got up. What do you do? You turn on the light. You don't know where to go? You need a light. And, and this verse in Scripture says God's Word, the Bible, is like that light. And so what do we do? We say, okay, God... I'm in a situation. I don't know. It's dark. I'm, I'm not sure what's next. But I, but you told me your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read in your word. And I'm going to ask you to use your word to illuminate, to show me the next step, to show me what's in front of me, to show me left or right or straight or back. I'm just going to trust that you're serious about the things that you tell me, that your promises are true, that your word is something I can build my life upon. And when I don't know where to go, you will provide direction. You will provide illumination. God, I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to take that step as you show me in your word. And you just start reading. Now, I'm not one that says, you know, just kind of go, okay, Holy Spirit, there. And I think, as we've talked about for the last week, have a plan. You should be regularly incorporating it. Because I've found in my life, when I've been practicing the discipline of reading the Bible regularly, which I don't always do. I know, shocking, I'm a preacher, but I don't. It's then, more often than not, when situations come up, it's like, wait a minute. I just read about that a day or two ago. God brings back almost immediately to my memory the things that I've been reading in His Word. Why? Because He promises His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I can trust Him that He'll show me the direction and the steps I need to take. And so we want to integrate the Bible into our life. We want to have integrity by the way we live. 
here at church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever we find ourselves. We want that to be integrated, that it's not just a 40-day and we're done. Okay, we can move on to the next thing. No, it becomes about a life lived, focused on and by the Word of God. Incidentally, something you probably realize, the book of John, chapter 1, starts by talking about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, it says. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You know, we, we look at the book that we call the Bible, and one of, the, one of my favorite ways to refer to it is the Word of God, because it is that. But we have not just words on a page, but we have a life lived in the person of Jesus, who was the Word that was flesh, and who lived out perfectly in a way that I can't even imagine everything that was written in this book. And so one of the privileges we have today is to take this supper together. Because this supper reminds us of He who is the Word of Jesus. And the the ultimate sacrificial act that He performed on our behalf. When in spite of what He knew was to come, He could say to the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. And go to the cross. And there His body broken, symbolized by the bread we're we're about to take. And His blood shed, symbolized by the juice that we're about to take. A reminder that He was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. And that He would go away and send for us His Holy Spirit, who would guide us into all truth, who would help take this book, the Bible, and make it practical in the day-to-day life that you and I live, even almost 2,000 years or more than 2,000 years removed from His life. And so it seems a very fitting way to close this service and our observance, this 40 days in the Word, by remembering He who is the Word, Jesus Himself.